Black fades to reveal a closed red curtain. A conductor stands below it. He taps his platform, raises his arm, and begins to direct the traditional 20th Century Fox tune. As the curtain opens, revealing the 20th Century Fox sign, the curtain closes and reopens again with different music. It is music from the movie. A bit of each song from the opening credits as each sign changes. Inside the curtain, words are shown. Was a boy, a very strange boy. We see Christian's face. It fades away. They say he wandered very far, very far, a little shy. We travel through Paris. Turn away from this village of sin. <laughs> <laughs> We skip down because this is unreadable. <laughs> Incomprehensible. <laughs> the Moulin Rouge! Ruled over by Harold Ziedler, a kingdom of nighttime pleasures where the rich and powerful came to play with the young and beautiful creatures of the underworld. The most beautiful of all of these was the woman I loved, Satine. A courtesan she sold her love to men. They called her the sparkling diamond. And she was the star of the Moulin He puts his hand against his forehead and quietly sobs to himself. He removes his hand from his forehead and looks grimly at his typewriter. The woman I loved is... He looks carefully out his window at the now broken down Moulin Rouge. Dead. I mean, we could read this whole thing. It's it's incredible. Yeah, the stage directions are pretty gripping. <laughs> the ridiculous obsession with love. Poor man. Poor buddy. Well, I guess we're talking about Moulin Rouge. Yeah, welcome. I mean, you you don't think this is a good movie. Okay. I think it's a good movie. I think the plot is a little trite. I mean, is that is that the point? No, it's not. Well, my point was... It is a good movie. It's beautiful. It's fun to watch. I love it. I'm not saying I don't love this movie because I do. I just think in the grand scheme of great movies, this maybe isn't. We we were talking in context. We were talking about Titanic, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is a if you talk, if you look at the grand sum is a great movie. But also a terrible movie. Yes, and I would put it in the same category where the yeah. story is b- very silly and, uh, like, you know, yeah. lifetime-y. But it is a overall really like, – a thoroughly enjoyable experience. Yeah, I hear that. I mean, okay, so the um, there's a Boslerman quote that summarizes what he believes this entire film is about – The film is ultimately about the journey from youthful idealism to the spiritual growth one seeks in adulthood. It is about one's changing relationship to truth, beauty, freedom, and above all things love. Which is a very dramatic way to put that. I mean, it's sweet. I respect him. I think he's a genius. I mean, by all accounts, Baz Luhrmann is a genius. Yeah. Oh, of course. I mean, he has, I think anyone in that's able to create mainstream film or successful, like consistently create successful films that are so true to his kind of very specific artistic style. I think anything, anyone that's able to, to hold on to that is to be applauded. And also just the fact that his artistic style is so distinct and cool and interesting. How, and how do you even pull that off at a certain point? It's like when you look at a Wes Anderson movie and you're like, how did this person have such a developed style and sell it. Yeah, exactly. That's Getting the thing. People that's, involved. That ultimately, that's the thing is that not only that he has this, because I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of amazing artistic filmmakers that have a very developed style, but they're not able to like market it, market it and pull other people into their vision. But Boz Lerman has consistently been able to do so. So I think that ultimately is good on him and yeah. his wife, Catherine Martin, who apparently was the production designer and costume designer. Like, it helps when you have your partner who, like, is, like, totally in tune with you and is able to, like, because talking about the things that make the, his movies what they are, it's, oh, costume and production design. Gorgeous. You live in a world. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, it is interesting, though, because you, like, look at all these references that are, like, so heady, and then you also realize that it's, like, 
this is a jukebox music jukebox musical. Yeah. Which like in all, by all accounts, I I usually hate those. Yeah. I think of like Rock of Ages, and it makes me just oh, so I'm frustrated. Vomit. It's so bad. Yeah, because it seems cheap. It seems like a cheap like way out. To just yeah. be like, oh, these are songs that you like. But there are all these descriptions of, like, the reason that they chose to do music like this was the idea that, like, it's supposed to make Christian seem prolific, you know, because mm-hmm. he's, like, tapped into all these songs that are eventually going to be super famous. But also that um, that it's a way to get the audience to immediately recognize a feeling and that it was his way of, like, trying to redefine the movie musical and, like, mm-hmm. musicals for the 21st century. Wow. You know, which I think is pretty it's, smart. And I also think it's pretty successful because so it's interesting looking at it from you know kind of our side of the generation gap I guess is that for I feel like myself and for a lot of our peers this was our first exposure to a lot of these songs and I think that there's also a level two where if you're able to create that feeling not out of a feeling of nostalgia but be able to create that feeling in the same way that somebody who had heard that song for the first time, mm-hmm. that's something that's really amazing. Because I think something like A Rock of Ages, for example, it's very obvious what it is. It's like you're catering to a very specific age group. They are feeling, you know, you want them. It's like, oh, I love that song. That's funny that they're doing this in this movie. Where I feel like with Moulin Rouge, it's like it's so incorporated into the like emotion of the story. Sure. That even for some people who were, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 when this movie came out, who had maybe never heard Bowie or had never heard Elton John. Yeah. It, it's, it's it's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. And it's also just amazing that that kind of shows his prowess as a, like, world creator, storyteller, that he's able to kind of select and incorporate these songs in a way that it really resonates with audiences, even if they aren't familiar with the... Well, he was... There, there's another descriptor, too, of when he... I guess either they were researching this film, or maybe they were just traveling, and it was just sort of kind of m- melding in his in his mind... He had gone to India and had gone to see a Bollywood movie where like 3,000 people were watching this movie all at once. And he's like, the movie was three hours long. It had high melodrama, you know, extremely amazing dance sequences. I totally got what was going on, but I don't speak Hindi. He's like, for for three hours, I thought I had learned Hindi because we were all on the same page. Because the audience had left, like, let go of their ego, let go of their, like, inherent cool. And we're just experiencing this movie for exactly what it was and having a great time Mm -hmm. and really feeling the emotion. And so he wanted to find a way to translate Bollywood performance with American cinema. Yeah. And I think he did a really good job. Yeah, I was going to say, hearing that, I mean, that is spot on because I will... I'm not going to back down from my statement that the story is a little trite and silly. <laughs> it is, it is. But You're right. You're I totally will say right. that 1,000% that that is the, the, like, you are so sucked into this environment. You're so sucked into this world and the, like, the music is incredible and the, the, the production design is incredible mm-hmm. and it's just beautiful and fun and, like, that's what, you know, that's what Bollywood's all about and I feel like he, if that was his aim, that was so successful. I think it's also the choice of like subverting some of these ideas. So like as an example, one of the interviews with the choreographer, he was talking about, you know, one of the major things that we had to talk about was the can-can, which is so overdone. Everyone knows the stance move. It's not particularly exciting or interesting and it's it has like a sub- subversive like background from when it first was performed, mm-hmm. but like now it's kind of trite and musically it's not very interesting. So he's like, so what do we do to, to shift that idea and make it more palatable? He's like, okay, well, what if the dancers, it's more as if it were a cockfight, more as if they're like presenting their colors and then fighting each other. So it becomes like a dance battle. So the sequence where they're dancing and doing like the can-can, the sort of Ziedler's medley song is is posed as like almost like an aggressive performance versus this like, kind of casual classical thing. And I think that's that that choice is made in almost everything in the movie, like in the sense of music, in the sense of design. Like everything is heightened in this way where it, it just works because you're allowing it to work. Harold Zidler and his infamous girls, they called them his diamond dogs. So tell me about the first time that you watched this movie. Do you remember it? Oh my gosh, I certainly do. So 
The first time I actually watched this movie, I was, I don't, it doesn't count. I was by myself. I was babysitting. I was like 12 mm-hmm. and I fell asleep halfway through and whatever. Um, the, I remember the first time I watched this movie, my friend came over for a sleepover and I wanted to watch it so bad. And she had it on DVD. Her parents were divorced. So she got to watch like racy things whenever she wanted because her parents were divorced. That's how that works. Right. I know how that is. Yeah. And, um, she brought it over and I was like, Hey, my parents won't probably let me watch this, um, on my own. But I bet if you went and asked them if it was okay, they would be like really impressed with how mature you are and they would let me. And so she did, she went to my dad and was like, hey, Mr. Heath, I just like, I really want to watch this. And I brought it and I didn't want to like tell Emily or ask her before I asked your permission. And my dad was like, oh my gosh, that's so responsible. And so he let us watch And you're like, I'm a sick master. I am a genius. And so we watched it (laughs) on our computer in our playroom on like the desktop computer. And for some reason that like blanket permission included my three-year-old brother. So, um, yeah, we watched it. Me and Sarah Premka watched it with my three-year-old brother and spent half the movie, like, halfway pretending that they weren't banging or pretending to bang on screen. So, that's my big memory of this movie. That's so cute to watch it on a computer screen. Yeah, that was, like, well, because at the time, you know, back in those days where nobody had 55 computers. 55 televisions we only had one tv and so if you wanted to watch something away from like the like main family hub we had to be back in the weird computer and it's like this tiny monitor and like our weird computer hub where if you open the doors to the computer cabinet the lights all turned on you do you remember those (laughs) oh man i had so many days where we would have like one friend sitting on the computer chair and then everyone else on like creepy bean bags around it i don't know i like that that's so cute Yeah. yeah so I have this memory of watching it once and and having like so many opinions and thinking like it was a piece of shit. I remember watching it and being like, this is so stupid. I don't like this at all. And then I remember watching it again for some unknown reason, because I don't know, I guess I I, I avidly remember not enjoying it the first time I watched it. And then by the second time I watched it was like, like weeping, like finding it to be the most deeply romantic thing I'd ever, ever seen. And my like, fondest like memory of the whole process of that was that mm-hmm. I had a diary land account which was like pre-live journal I want to say oh definitely pre MySpace and um you could you could make your own templates so that your like your like interface was like cool. Some were like being like very nerdy in middle school and like looking up how to program like a cool backdrop. And I remember finding this like really high res beautiful photo of Satine in the darkness like looking away in her white dress and it was like all themed around like one day I'll fly away you know because of course when you're like 11 you're like really feeling like you you just you're just really held down I was gonna say you have you have a lot of really intense societal like pressure to oh be perfect when you're 11 it was so dramatic I know it was at that point in time where I was like I thought I needed to have my whole room look like I was in a Deb catalog but in reality was like very attracted to Hot Topic and Really couldn't figure my life out, mm. you know. Lots of we that. all went through that phase. Lots of like the beginnings of a bout of uh, teenage depression. I said I went through six months where I exclusively shopped at Paxson, so it's a little bit of the opposite swing on that spectrum. But I also experienced. That. Yeah, but I just remember like thinking that like Tatim was so gorgeous and the soundtrack was so gorgeous and it was just so deeply romantic. Mm. And I've, now I've seen the movie like a hundred times. Mm. Like visually it holds up in a way that is like unparalleled there's definitely some clumsy stuff which doesn't work so much anymore but like it's a huge swing to take Mm -hmm. and i think he nails it successful well and you know in just kind of in that same vein of us talking about him being able to create these like just stunning worlds that i think you can hold on to and can you know, access, even if it's not this kind of, you know, the, the tales of the time type of story with the, the modern music, whatever. I have the same experience with those Romeo and plus Juliet. Oh my God. Same experience. It's, you know, fall right in, just fall right into the world. Yeah, you really do. And it's so romantic and gripping. And in the same vein, I had, maybe I was a little bit older when I, I mean, Romeo and Juliet came out first, but I had my connection with it 
a little bit later in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, But I remember just being so obsessed. I watched it over and over and over. And I think it's, while they're both very different aesthetically, they also have that same kind of like hyper-realistic, hyper-saturated quality Mm -hmm. that just pulls you in and is so appealing. There's no irony. Yeah. That's something too is there's like these huge choices are made and it's never like, isn't that funny? It's like, no, this is a psychedelic universe in which like courtesans are, are king essentially and like music has no timeline and everyone's kind of on drugs and like sure. Or like with Romeo and Juliet, it's like they're speaking in an ancient language in a modern location that feels halfway between um, like Brazil and uh, Venice. Like why is this like this? I don't know. And I don't fucking care. <laughs> doesn't matter I'm into it Literally I'm on board I couldn't I guess less. that's the that's the that's the markup to me of a successful filmmaker is that you can point out in both of these films honestly all of these logical fallacies and all of these like but what about but what about but what about but if you as the audience member are saying I don't care mm-hmm. then that's all that matters it doesn't it truly does, you know yeah yeah. But I wonder too, and this is obviously, we'll do a quick sidebar because this could be its own conversation. It's like, why then does Gatsby not work? Yeah. Is it because the source material is too developed? Because like Romeo and Juliet is hyper developed too. But is it like, they, I feel like also in some ways the visual editing of that movie took it a step too far. Like I it felt very, it, it didn't feel human. His, his aesthetic got the best of him. I think that the, the over the top kind of visual, the whole thing, because there's a lot of parts of Gatsby that are really cool, but overall, it's just it's essentially unwatchable. It's almost too much, right? It's like <laughs> it the is too much. Style is too much. The acting style is not enough at points. It's very like it's like they made the acting really downtuned. The music is really uptuned. The visual is super saturated, but you're never like landed in a reality where you feel comfortable. And maybe yeah. that also is in some way due to practical effects. Because when you talk about Romeo and Plus Juliet, like that's all those are all real sets it's gorgeous it's complicated and it's gritty same thing with moulin rouge like there's definitely digital effects obviously but like there are even sequences where you realize like okay the there are shots where that elephant is real and it's 60 feet tall i was gonna say but i would imagine and from what the research we've you've done mostly that the bulk of it was built on a soundstage so it's real they had yeah they had five sound stages that were huge in, in australia and if they didn't shoot it um they shot everything practically some of it was models but it was yeah. still real. Yeah. There was CGI in the Paris, um, like when they sure. showed the streets of Paris. Yeah. But like but, a lot of that stuff is scale models and that's incredible. Yeah. And and I think that's the thing that, that you lose that sort of magic of that like real physical object in Gatsby because so much of that was yeah. CGI. Because there is yeah. something too, you can even say that with the Star Wars movies where it's like, you can throw money at something all you want. Like you can throw as much money at the visual effects as you want. And, and people are still going to like the one from 1977 yeah. better because you can see all the little toys I mean, and the models. I mean, you can say, sorry, we're like getting a little off topic, but it's interesting <laughs> that um, I don't know how many of everyone or if you have watched The Mandalorian. Not yet. The Star Wars uh, television show on Disney+. Plus, But the bulk of it, there is obviously CGI. Don't get me wrong. It's Star Wars. But there was a whole thing where the production designer insisted that they keep Yoda, baby Yoda, as a puppet and insisted. And they were trying to be like, no, I don't know. And it's like, no, no. Well, he actually just literally said, don't be a coward. Ooh. Yeah, which is great. But it is more effective. You people, you can tell, you know, it doesn't matter how amazing you make the CGI. There is something that people just connect to more strongly when it's like physical, physically present. And I think you can even say that doubly so for something like a musical where it's already an art form that is catered towards seeing it live and being able to experience it in person. And so for you to be able to create that connection with your audience, you kind of have to have that level of physicality. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Tying it back in, I feel like that's something that makes Moulin Rouge so amazing is like the things, obviously the elephant is incredible. Obviously the insights, the scenes of the Moulin Rouge are incredible, but the, the parts of that movie to me that are so cool or when you get to see all of the dancers and all of the actors interacting with these beautiful like you know crazy colored like hyper like you know sparkly lights everywhere absolutely and it's interesting too because the um there's an in one of the interviews with the lighting designer too he talks about how he's like okay so this is said in the turn of the century like electricity has just really been 
shared with the general public. Mm -hmm. So he wanted to have the visual style represent what you in 1899, 1900 would have like to see lights, like electric lights for the first time is he's like, I wanted the lights to feel like the most beautiful thing you'd ever seen Wow! because you'd be so impressed by something yeah. else, like such an engineering so wowed by that. Yeah. yeah. So wow. the idea of like the way that the lights glow, the way that this, the colors are, are heightened, everything is still in tungsten lighting except for like when, uh, um, Satine shows up and she's in that like intense Blue, blue, icy blue light because they wanted to make her just glow. A kiss on the hand. Oh, we are continental, but diamonds are a girl's best friend. A kiss on the ground, but it's why the rental on your humble flats or help you feed your pussy cat. Men grow cold as girls grow old. And we all lose our jobs in the end. So the movie's plot, I feel like let's, because it's, it, because I don't disagree with you, it is a little bit clumsy. Yes. It is also apparently quite loaded in references. Yes. Which I think is, it helps a little bit because the reason I was teasing you a bit in the beginning about saying that it's not a good plot and that the fact that it's like trite, in some ways I wonder if it's supposed to be trite. Sure. Yes. I think, yes, I would agree with you. So here's what I'll say. Uh, We can give... Bosler in the benefit of the doubt and say that there are parts of the melodrama that he intentionally um, created as melodrama because, you know, if we're looking at the theatrical styles of the time in which it was set, um, theater was very melodramatic. You know, they didn't have, you didn't have artificial um, amplification. Um, so, and the, just the acting style in general was people just being like, crazy pants like <laughs> super over the top and you know super dram- like their dramatic facial expressions like that's where the tr- that's where melodrama comes from so i guess giving him the benefit of the doubt benefit of the doubt you can definitely say that that is where that a lot of the the artistic choices for the actors and such come from so i i will i will accede that point and say that that p- perhaps it was intentional well, so I, some of the references that they say that this story is based upon are La Boheme, uh, Orpheus, and Eurydice. Eurydice. There we go. I got you. And La Dame, uh, what? Uh, La Dame du Camélier. Camélia. Camélia. That's, <laughs> that's the one that really stuck out to me because um, I had never heard of it. So just in doing some of the research... It's um it's a semi autobiographical novel based on the author's brief love affair with a courtesan Marie wow. Duplessis, uh, set in the mid nineteenth century in France. Uh, it tells the story of a tragic love story between the two fictional characters Marguerite, uh, a courtesan suffering from consumption, and Armand, a young bourgeois. <sighs> and um, it's the reason that Marguerite is is called the lady of the camelier is because she wears a red camellia when she is menstruating and unavailable for making love and a white camellia when she is available for her lovers. That's very enterprising of her. I will say that. I mean, you know, if you've got a really, um, I mean, that's your business. That's your business. You You gotta let the, let the, let the customers know what's going on. And sometimes, you know, it's like, okay, here I am. I'm beautiful. You can still look at me, but like, don't come talk to me. But also, like, back off of yeah. my pussy. I respect that, honestly. When it says that Armand falls in love with her and then becomes her lover, and then he convinces her to leave her life as a courtesan, and then it is interrupted by her uh, Armand's father, <sighs> who is concerned it's going to be create a scandal, and then just destroys everything. And until she dies, Armand thinks that he left her, and it's <laughs> Marguerite's death is described as unending agony. Oh, God. Great. Of course it is. <laughs> it says that the story is narrated after Marguerite's death by two male narrators and that some scholars believe that both the fictional Marguerite's illness and real life um, illness of this real life character, the consumption that she died of consumption was actually like a delicate way of saying she died of syphilis. Ah. Which, you know, as a very profitable whore, I can see that being a major issue. So it was, I would imagine, a pretty major issue and... I would rather I be remembered for dying of consumption, I suppose, than syphilis. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, there's blood on my kerchief. Not like, 
oh, I just got like banged oh, to my death. Brain Swiss cheese because <laughs> syphilis ruins your head. Yeah, I've been rotting my brains. Maybe I've just been like drinking like grain alcohol and like smoking opium. And oh my god, I'm what if the and I'm whole the inside out. Re- relationship with Armand was like a fever dream of her dying of syphilis in her brothel? We should write that movie. I love that. I mean, I was thinking about how the the way that Moulin Rouge even opens with the fact that like Toulouse is sort of crying and and they're all drunk and he's writing this story and tra la la whatever. I do wonder if, like, what if there's an Elseworlds version of this movie where, like, they all go out and do that green fairy sequence, and from that point on, this is all, like, a hallucination. And Christian is just having, like, an absolute relapse in his tiny uh, apartment. Wow. In Montmartre. First, there is desire. Jealousy, anger, betrayal. Where love is for the highest bidder, there can be no trust. Without trust, there is no love. Jealousy, yes, jealousy will drive you mad. I don't know if you've ever been to the Moulin Rouge, like, inside. Um, it's tiny. It's, like, it a looks sh- really small crappy... The street. I'm pretty surprised that they it's like it seem so It's, like, a crappy theater. Mm-hmm. So they definitely do a... And it, it, Baz Luhrmann definitely has, makes an effort to create this, like, grandiose, like, over-the-top mental experience. I don't know. I think it's, a, it's like... It, the thing that I like about it... Is that I like we were just talking about where he it's this huge space. There's all this going on there. There's all these colors, there's all these dancers, there's all these like booths with the customers and all this stuff. And we, as like, you know, 20th century viewers, are like, wow, that's amazing. As a 19th century um attendee to the Moulin Rouge, you would have had the same feeling walking to the space, even though it's like a tenth of the size of what you were. The impression you get. Yeah. And I think that that's why, a, a lot of the reason why, but I think it, it's just really interesting how it's like, let's amp up the scope so much and make people feel like they have this like crazy, this like crazy huge experience. This is like the freaking elephant in the tower and all this stuff that did not exist in real life. Um, but even though that, you know, the real well, editing really is plays like, a huge part in that. Um, Jill Bilcock, the editor, has a quote where he says, Moulin Rouge takes you on a ride. A roller coaster ride from beginning to end with areas of light, shade, and speed that changes when you least expect them. Boz and I have made fast, fast, fast our mantra, but as soon as the story gets to Christian and Satine, the love story, the tragedy, we slow down. So the he said he wanted to avoid the traditional trappings of a musical by saying, since the cast never actually stopped to sing a song, we integrated songs into the storytelling that isn't so that there isn't a distinction. The singing is simply another storytelling device. So the idea that like these, that the, even the editor is trying to surreally and, and, and imply these, these blendings of ideas where like, it's so fast, you don't know what's going on. Then immediately when Satine and Christian are together, it's like <gasps> this breath of air. Stop. That sequence where she, wow. where she gets up on top of the, like where she sort of swings into frame and, and they're both like together next to each other for the first time. I mean, you get this, quietude this like bubble around them and it's you're you're it's very it's very visceral yeah as a viewer you're like oh my god or even the part the time when um when he's she thinks that he's hurt the duke and he thinks that she's hearing his poetry and they're like doing the like comical back I and forth whatever poetry. and he starts singing when After he's like supper. my gift is myself and she just like and it's like everything else stops and she stops and <gasps> that's the moment where you're like oh my god i love him every time but it's so it's so real that they it is an effective editing technique that you don't know you don't realize how frenetic everything's been around you until that moment stops and you're just, that's what I, I don't know maybe that's not the only thing that draws you in but that's but that's the thing where you're like oh my god well it's like a trick that they use in horror movies where like you know they'll like use tonality then like a bang and it'll it'll frighten you in the same way this is like 
intensity, 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 and then this this flash of like, oh, now we're here. Now it's intimate. Now it's us. Now it's personal. And it's interesting because you get that on stage with live music. And I think Mm -hmm. maybe that's the way that they're trying to like imply some stuff too. Oh, yeah. And we've talked about this before too that – and it's it's interesting how how they articulated it that in musicals that the – most effective way of introducing song into a story is to wait until the emotion gets so heightened that there's no other way for them to express themselves to sing and for them to say, yeah, they don't stop. Nobody stops to sing. That's just the way. And it's so real in this movie that there's, there's such visceral, we were talking about Roxanne. Roxanne is such a visceral experience and like that and then your song is so lovely and sweet and like this like beginning love story and I feel like that is the the strength of this film even if it is a jukebox jukebox we both have had trouble with that today jukebox even if it is a jukebox musical um they it's so effective in the way that they choose the songs and they choose the 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 timing of when they're introduced it just like really creates such a like like I keep saying visceral, but visceral experience for the audience, which is amazing. Yeah. And it's funny because then you go like spectacular, spectacular, which is super funny and also like almost impossible. Like that sequence is so abrasive. So, so silly. (laughs) It's so, so silly. And then you go to the, um, the one day I'll fly away, which is like so romantic and so sad and so lovely. And then like, it just, there's so, there's so much to take in so quickly. And I will say that that in some parts is what gets a little hard to follow. Mm-hmm. There's a point where you're like, you've done song, 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 song. And then you're like, oh, wait, there is a story here. I guess he's writing a story. Oh, then they're lying. Oh, and then the Duke and the Duke's kind of a scumbag. But like, you've almost kind of lost sight of the storyline. And maybe yeah. that's where the writing kind of falls apart momentarily. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, I'm not grounded and I don't like really care. Like, I don't really yeah. believe this secret love affair they're having. Right. And that's, that's which is, again, that's that, that kind of cockney dancer character. She has a name. I just don't know what it is. It's something like Nina the Legs. It's something Nene like... Legs in the Air. Oh, yeah. boy. That's her name? That's her name in the movie. Wow. Okay, Nene so legs there's the, the point where Nene goes like, oh, I'm the, the, the like, the writer. writer. I mean, sit up. And it's like, yeah, no shit. Everybody fucking knows you guys are, like, idiots, and you're, like, making out in the mezzanine. I don't know what you thought was going to happen. Um, he holds the deeds to the Moulin Rouge. Are you mad? The Duke holds the deeds to the Moulin Rouge. He's spending a fortune on you. He's given you a beautiful new dressing room. He wants to make you a star. And you're dallying with the writer. Harold, don't be ridiculous. I saw you together! It's nothing. It's just an infatuation. It's... it's nothing. The infatuation end looking at i guess in context of you know create of the stories that were popular in the time the theater that was popular in the time i guess i'm like okay i guess i get it and, it's- and i will say i do fall for the idea where, where like she's backed into a corner and then like she's just gonna give herself up because she doesn't she's really care like, about but herself i love him uh i i that's her dismissing Christian and Christian getting so upset and the dance sequence and then oh, and he like throws him the money at her. Oh, oh. I've paid my whore. Oh, Satine is a perfect, flawless angel woman character because she is a courtesan. She's doing what she has to do to survive. She has a dream. She wants. To, she is an. She's an actress. She has a goal in mind. She's doing all this stuff. She supports everyone around her and she without complaint because all she wants is to achieve this goal. She derails this entire dream to be with this guy, which like, fair, get it. That's no shame in that. There's nothing wrong. You fall in love, fine. He is this sensitive ass little like shitty white boy who's like, my dad doesn't like hurt me. And he shows up in Paris and he finds her. And then he's like, you don't want to throw away your whole career for me? How could you? And like, and also immediately believes the worst. Also, as she's dying of consumption, (laughs) as she's dying of consumption, all of a sudden, yeah, 
immediately believes the worst in her, is immediately like, woe is me, oh my god, this is the worst, bohemian ideals destroyed, as this poor woman is like, all of these people's jobs and livelihood depend on me doing this show and banging this shitty old dude. he has to go cry in the rain, Emily. He's gotta cry in the rain. Get over yourself. Get over yourself. Get over yourself. She has more problems than you. She is dealing with more than you, and you are the worst. This is probably my... but the to, crux of my problem with this movie. For him to show up at the theater, to put on someone's costume, to sneak Get on stage, on to stage. disrespect her in front of an mm, audience, mm, like, mm, mm, bro, mm, it's mm. not about you today. It's No, it's, not about it's never you. been about you. She's better than you. you. She's always been better than you. I don't care if she's a courtesan. I don't care. Girlfriend is making her dreams happen. She's supporting all of her friends and family. She's keeping the theater open and you're sad and salty pants because she's trying to A, save your life because this guy was going to kill you and B, you couldn't just get over the fact that she was going to do her freaking job which has been the, her job since well, before like when, you met her. It's like when dudes date strippers and they're like, no, babe, it's totally cool. Just, it's totally cool. It's totally cool. I'm just gonna like, I'm just gonna like wait outside of the venue to pick you up every it's night, exactly and then just like, it's totally, it's totally like cool. That. But like, um, you're gonna cheat on me, and I, if you do, I'm gonna call you a whore. But it's not because you're a stripper. And you're like, it's because she's a stripper. Or even like, not even because she's, it's not even strippers. It's like, even but like, like in that way, I know. But like, I'm, I'm even, I'm gonna extend it out. Work. I'm gonna say I'm extend it out. I'm gonna extend it out to like successful female performers. Mm-hmm. I feel like they have to deal with that all the time, and it's like. They're like, oh, it's not because I don't trust you. It's because I don't trust you. And you're like, this. But the other thing with Satine is that this has been her job since well before Christian showed up. I'm going to be gross about it probably since she was like 13. Yeah, which is sad. And I'm sad. I'm not not sad that she has to have been a courtesan. I'm sad that she has been had to have been a courtesan. But it has been her job and she has been working towards a goal. And this guy shows up and is all like, I don't want you to sleep with him. And she's like, I have to. And he's like, I mean, the show but I hard. don't want to. And she's like, and she doesn't at his behest. And he doesn't come and save her for when he's, she's about to get fucking raped by that creepy dude. No, he just sits there and cries. And he just cries in his in his apartment that his dad paid for. You know he did. Yeah, you know he did. Even though he was like, it's a village of sin. He was still like, here's your FAFSA money. I don't know. Maybe this is the crux of my problem with this plot, that Christian is a sad-ass little milk toast, and he needs to get over himself. I mean, it's really true. And, like, it doesn't go well for him, probably because he just didn't, like, take a beat and go, what's really going on? Now, okay, would she have still died of consumption? Yes. Yeah. But could they have died like happy and having like had oh, a couple sort of, of goat cheese farm. together? Yeah, they got they went to Provence, they picked lavender, they were eating cheese and stuff, and then she died like that would have been a nicer end for both of them. And now he's traumatized forever and he has to live with the knowledge that he shamed this poor woman for nothing. Here's a question, just in a sense of like the technicality of what we've uh, you know, actually watched. It's a Functioning theater with many people who it's their job to be there. Yes, a teen dies on the stage. Do you think they do that show again? Yeah, probably. Like immediately, like the next night? Having, um... Like she's not that important. Evidence of Harold Ziedler, I would say... Yeah, the show must go on. Yes, we will do it the next night and they will probably replicate her death on stage for the next five Can you imagine, years. like, your best friend dies on stage and it's they're like... like, do you want to jump in? <laughs> Hey, so I know you've been looking for a better part. We've been talking about it. Like, they're like how's about now? She's still dead on the stage right now. They're like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's fine. We've sold a lot of tickets already. You know, the deeds, the Moulin Rouge or whatever. You know, uh, yeah. Call time's five. Uh, we'll see you then. Doors at 7.30. We'll give everybody a, a <laughs> solid half hour to grieve. Yeah. <laughs> the show must go on. The show must go on. The show must go on. Outside, the dawn is breaking on the stage that holds our final destiny. The show must go on. The show must go
That's so rough. It is rough. When you look at it from the perspective of all the, of all the other people who, okay, first of all, all these other people just like working, they're there, they're trying to make a living and Satine and Ziedler are like, let's make a real theater. And they're like, I mean, they're like, what? I was cool being a can-can dancer or whatever, but okay. Yeah, I'm a circus freak and I'm a whore. Like, but like, I mean, I'm fine. Sure and so then they show. like build this whole new theater and they do all this shit. And then it's this back and forth. Like, Is this getting, are we getting canceled? Are we not getting canceled? She has to sleep with this guy. This guy, whatever. And they're all just like, like, yeah, she has to sleep with that's your job. Figure your shit out. Yeah. We just want to work. Yeah. Also, like, while you guys are rehearsing all of this, like, we've done no shows. Done zero shows. Yeah. No wonder this little worm is so upset. He's put a bunch of money into a space that's... I don't blame him. Let's be honest. Okay. Honestly, um, I don't like other people touching my things. Like, he's gross, but he's not wrong. Mm. Oh, yes. Mm. Is he a little creepy and possessive in, in 20, he's you know, 20... Gross. 2020 would he probably be a serial killer yes yeah. but if we look at like shitty characters in the film he followed through with what he all he, he asked for a a thing for a service i mean i hate the idea of commodifying I, because it's so sad and no, dark and it but does make me feel it, bad but it is literally that's the deal the deal and like again in the in the scheme of the times that was her job and he he fronted money for their theater in exchange for her services. Now, do I respect her right to say no? Absolutely. And she did. She said no and she ran away. And that, you know, the end. Yeah. That should be the end. But and the whole sequence with the diamonds and then he rips them off her throat. Oh, it's that's so the creepy. Rough. And then the that's big, rough. The big bodyguard guy comes and saves her. Chocola. His name is Chocola. He's so handsome and like yeah. saves her and well, let's so let's go through just quickly other other little pieces to this puzzle. Oh my god, like a virgin. We haven't barely talked about that. I just don't want to. It's just weird. I don't want to talk about like a virgin. It's so creepy. I mean, it's funny because it's like I get it. It it does exactly what it needs to do. It's just yucky. It's just a yucky yucky sequence, and it doesn't make me happy. Okay, well, we don't have to talk about it, but the thing that I will note is that um, Jim Broadbent, who plays Harold Ziedler, um, is this, like, incredibly, amazingly talented, um, classic, classically trained English actor who, for the mo- bulk of his career, plays, like, you know, Professor Slughorn in Harry Potter and, like, you know, oh, famous British calm. characters and like, and it's just so entertaining. This is like the biggest deviation in his career that he plays Harold Ziedler, this like super flamboyant I love nightclub that. owner. And like it's that. amazing, especially when they're British and old. You're like, can you do that? Is that allowed? And he plays, he, he's amazing in this no, movie. He plays you. an incredible character. I just think it's really It was interesting. like I, I watched Hot Fuzz for the first time. Oh, yeah. And, uh. Olivia Coleman's in that. Yes. And it's so weird because I've seen my first introduction to her was definitely as the queen. The favorite. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's like, she's, oh. yeah. Again, all these British actors who, because, I mean, I don't want to say because, but generally I feel like British film and stage and perhaps television to a level is pretty restrained. Um, their careers have been restrained in that capacity. And then when they get the opportunity to do these like crazy over the top things, you're just like, yes. Well, like the most over the top, which I feel like in conjunction with like how good Roxanne the Tango is, the Hindi sad diamonds, the like opening of the actual show. Oh yeah. I, yeah. The Hindi sad diamonds opening sequence with like the weird sort of almost techno-esque, I only speak the truth, like that repeating and mm-hmm. the beautiful lighting and the huge stage. I mean, it's, I remember watching that for the first time and being like, I don't think I've ever seen anything this beautiful. Yeah. Like the, the most, it's dance, so delicate. The intense. choreography was so cool. Yeah, it's really beautiful. It's really incredible. And it's, it's interesting because like, I, I wonder where that, I mean, probably because of his interest with the Bollywood film is where that came from, the Maharaj and all this stuff, because mm-hmm. all of the references have nothing to do with anything in, like, the Middle East. But then you've got, you know, like, in the sense of, like, f- French liter- literature yeah. or, like, ancient Roman literature. It's, like, nothing to do with this beautiful Indian culture. But it works. But it also had – there was also a level, two where at that point in history – I feel like less so in France, but probably in France as well, there was a bit of an obsession with the East, with India, with China. And I feel like there is is that kind of like veneration and like, you know, kind of spectacle 
of I mean, it certainly works. It's the most gorgeous set. Design, oh yeah, most gorgeous costumes and music is so exciting. Yeah, I mean, very I, cool. I yeah, I, I and it's funny like just in the sense of describing. Harold Ziedler being flamboyant, nothing is more flamboyant than him playing the Maharaja. Yes. The way he speaks, that weird giant tones, like his like commanding crazy dialogue. Yeah, it is funny that like I, this was my first experience with Jim Broadbent was in this um, movie and he has this very affected way of talking and moving and like speaking and you see him in anything else and he is nothing like that, which obviously a sign of a good performance and a good actor that you don't even recognize him outside of it. But like he has a very, it's just like so dramatically different. He said that he based Ziedler off of Baz Luhrmann. Oh my God. That's incredible. So Baz Luhrmann must be really intense. I could tell you I have, I could not pick him out of a crowd of two. I don't think I know what Baz Luhrmann looks like. It's just like like a brunette dude. Yeah. Really generic A brunette Australian dude. Yeah. So you get the Hindi sequence, you know, they're sneaking around. Toulouse gets trapped in the in the rafters. He sees the gun. It's so dramatic. Christian's stolen the jacket. The Argentinians collapsed. It like everything's culminating. It's so intense. He does that money thing, which the more I think about it, the more I hate it's it. Awful. He's and she's like on the stage, like, why are you doing this? Couldn't you just let it go or talk to me like a woman in person? You had to come in front of the public stage and mm. shame me. Mm-hmm. That really, yeah. Christian sucks. Because, like, okay, you got Christian is a shitty, shitty guy. I get it, dude. But, like, is your answer is to, like, publicly shame her? She was doing her job. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. (laughs) Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Again, I love, don't get me wrong, love this movie. But I will say as an adult watching it and you watch it again and you're like, oh, he's a garbage man. He just doesn't know any better because he's just He's naive. He's very naive. Deeply naive. The, um, The one thing about that number that always throws me off and it's thrown me off since the moment I saw this movie and I still don't know if I ever really like it is they they take the assassin's gun and they throw it out mm-hmm. the window and then it like suddenly becomes completely out of scale and like bounces off, off the, the Eiffel, Eiffel Tower. Tower. Yeah. Why? I don't know. I mean, I just don't like, nothing else is surreal and out of scale like that. Besides think, like maybe the sequence with like your song on the roof. Yeah. I feel like it's maybe tying into that where it's like sort of like playing into this like I feel like it's tying into this, like, fantasy, sort of, like, ethereal, otherworldly thing where it's, like, maybe with throwing the gun away and realizing that, you know, she never actually left him, that she really does love him, that they're, you know, he's like, oh, my God, this is never mind, that it's, like, getting them back into that mindset of your song where But then she immediately I know, but that's what I'm saying. I feel like he's like, oh, never mind. We're back where we were in this, like, perfect little dreamland. We're dancing on the roof. And then she dies of consumption. On the stage. That, like, gasping of blood and that the rose petals are falling and it's just like. And then it's like, he's like, uh, oh, yeah, I realize now why she did what she did. I hope he realizes why she did what she did or is he just going to be like. I think he does. My life is sad. Wait, we can check the script. Check the the script. Check the receipts. Let's see. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. Let me check the receipts. So, uh, okay. Satine. Oh, wow. This scene is really bad. Satine panting. I'm so sorry. Everyone is looking grim. Christian. You'll be all right. You'll be all right. You'll be all right. Satine. Cold. I'm c- cold. Woof. Christian looks at her, ready to cry, panting. Hold me. Hold me. Christian. Tears are forming in his eyes. You're Okay. He sniffles, trembling. I love you. Satine smiles. You've got to go on, Christian. I can't go on without you, though. You've got so much to give. Tell tell our story, Christian. He's sobbing now. Pain is etched in every muscle in his face. Satine. Yes, promise me. Promise me. (laughs) That way I'll always be with you. She gives Christian one last smile. Her panting subsides, cease. She is gone. Do you understand why I was talking about how terrible it is? Days turned into weeks. Weeks turned into months. And then, one not so very special day, I went to my typewriter. I sat down and I wrote our story. 
A story about a time. A story about a place. A story about the people. But above all things, a story about love. A love that will live forever. The Nicole Kidman is a goddess. I would never besmirch her name, but it's like, you've got to go on, Christian. You must must tell tell a story. story. (laughs) (laughs) And then Christian cries for two years. Literally, Christian's sobbing continues, intensifies. He lifts his head up, looks at Satine, cries out, and starts sobbing very hard. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Whatever. <laughs> and then, of course, Christian's monologue at the end just is like, everything was super hard. And then I got a typewriter. And then I wrote a story. A story about a place, about a people, about of all else. <laughs> love. We see the words being printed onto the paper. <laughs> a love that will live forever. The end. The scene focuses around the end. Boo. 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 Do you understand my concerns about this? Yeah, this this is not going to... This this did not win Best Screenplay, I'll tell you that. Um, So, yeah, that's always been my biggest uh, criticism of the film. (laughs) It's just maybe the script. Um, Well, I mean, it won some awards, which is pretty cool. Yeah. It it was nominated It deserved him. It was nominated for eight Oscars. It won two for Best Art Direction and Best Costume Design. It also won six Golden Globe... Well, I guess six Golden Globe nominations, but it won three, including the Best Picture Trophy. It also received 13 BAFTA awards, or nominations for BAFTAs, and then it it became the most nominated film of the year, and it took home three. Um, I guess Jim Broadbent finally got his BAFTA. Fantastic. God bless. Well, I do think... Oh, and this was... um, Oh, weird. And this is pretty good, though. It says, The film received eight Oscar nominations, including Best Actress in a Leading Role and Best Picture. The film was not nominated for Best Director. And Whoopi Goldberg, who hosted the Oscars that year, just said, I guess Moulin Rouge just directed itself. Throwing shade. You burn. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's similar to how last year and hopefully this year, when Natalie Portman was like, and here are the all-male nominees for Best Director. And guess what? It's happening again. Yeah, But, um, yes, I would say, okay, did they deserve Best Screenplay? No. no. But directing-wise, yeah. I think it's an incredible feat. It's an amazing movie. It's beautiful. It's so complicated. It's so technically impressive. I think that of all of anything... God bless Brazler. I don't think he's ever won Best Director. I think I he's been think nominated he multiple times, but I don't think he's ever won. Let's see. Who won the 2001 Best Director Oscar? Steven Soderbergh for Traffic. Mm, okay. That's fine. Fair. fair enough. That's fair. Well, I think it's time to go to the Jeff review. I think you're right. Um, let's go. Let's let's go to the Jeff panel. Jeffy and his review of Come What May, a beautiful piece, a glorious piece. Uh, I will say I I watched a two and a half minute uh, clip on uh, YouTube um, from the movie clips of Fandango. So you know it's going to be the most authentic piece of cinema I've ever watched in my life. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I don't know if you, uh, have you seen the clip, the Fandango um, movie clips? I have clip? not specifically seen the Fandango clip of Come What May, but I've seen the entire movie. So, yes, I am familiar with okay. Come What May. Gotcha. Yes. I just want to make sure yeah. that we're speaking on the same, mm. you know, 
the Fandango exclusive. That's right. I just want to make sure we're all speaking on the same level of knowledge mm. as to what I have just witnessed okay. uh, about 32 seconds ago. Okay. Give us, just, just give us, what's your first impressions? Oh, man. Teeth are rough. Teeth. Teeth are, teeth are rough in that movie. Um, it's the, I mean, it's the turn of the century in France. Right. Yeah, they yeah, didn't yeah. have orthodontia really yeah, it's, quite yet. It's, it's tough for them. Um, uh, Ewan McGregor's character. Uh, what's his character's name? I didn't uh, go Christian. over that in the Fandango clip. Christian. His Great. name's Christian. Thank you, Christian. Um, Christian was uh, at the back of the um, theater courtroom. Couldn't really tell. Uh, kind of looked like both. I know it's a theater, but like, you know, with all the fancy people in their tuxedos, I was like, hmm, could be a courtroom. And it looked like some, it looked like they were, it looked like she was on trial for like her singing ability. Um Kinda, or they were like auditioning her, judging her, or something like that. But their love was forbidden, and so she sang out for him, and then he responded with "Come what may," and then he said it again, and again, and yet again, but louder, and opened his mouth wider so I could see his teeth even more. And Christian uh, sang, were singing, and uh, "Come what may," screaming it. Loud for all the rooftops to hear, um, like lovers are wont to do, and uh, and and so then this man near the front of the audience is just angry. Oh, he's so angry that their love was so beautiful, and and he was like, and he and he and he head nodded to his henchmen in the back and was like, shoot them, shoot ha! And and so he he was about to shoot them, and then the clowns attacked. <laughs> That's what happened, and the and the clown came swinging down and knocked the gun <laughs> out of the bad man's hand and onto the stage. And the, one of the one of the showgirls in back screamed, "Oh, look, a gun on the stage!" No, um, and uh, and then that was the end of the clip. Oh, um, so that's the only thing you've ever seen of this entire film, is that correct? So no, I've seen chunks of it. Do I remember the movie? No. Uh, do I, uh, so functionally that's the only clip of this movie you've ever seen. Right. Do I know any of the music? Um, probably if I heard it again, I would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That song. So did you know, for example, that this is a, what they call a jukebox movie musical, which means that all of the music is like already existing, like pop and rock. That's what I thought. I knew. Yes. Yeah. Cause like, cause they do red light district, right? What? They don't do Red Light District. What? Do they do it? I know what he's talking about. What am I talking about? He's talking about Roxanne. Oh. Roxanne! You don't need to turn on that red. Yeah, they do that in this one. Yes. Yeah, all right. See? They do. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Maddie's got me. I'm on your side, man. No, I knew what you were talking about. Do you remember other other songs in the movie? Do you have any recollection? Like Red Light District. Yeah, yeah. yeah just, like, just like Red Light District. Yeah. Um, I can't think of them off the top of my head, unfortunately. Okay, so here's another question. Do you know what happens at the end? I think somebody dies. Do you know who dies? Because I saw a comment on the bottom of this that says, and they lived happily, happily ever after and nobody died. And I know that that is satire. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh because I can pick up on cues. Good, good uh, internet cues. Good job, buddy. Um, no, who does die? Should we want to ruin it? For Satine. Her? Satine dies. Satine yeah, she dies. has consumption. Yeah. She coughs up blood and she dies on stage <gasps> after they sing that song. Yeah, this is literally right. Before That's she the dies. end. Yeah, she's about to die. Yeah. Wait, is it like a genetic thing? Or did she? No, it's tuberculosis, poison? buddy. Oh, tuberculosis is like a really, really yeah. uh, contagious virus. That's TB. What, yeah. yeah, that's what consumption is. That's I didn't know that that was the mm. the cause of consumption. Well, no, it's the colloquial term for consumption. Oh, thank or you. For tuberculosis consumption. Yeah, we are saying debatably though that consumption yeah. could also be a delicate way of saying that she died from syphilis. Yeah, because she was a prostitute. Because of the red light district song. That's not got why it. she is a prostitute. Got it. Yes. Yes. It's okay. all coming together so now. So I want just in your like one. So of, the fancy man was probably. 
So the fancy man. The guy that thought that she like loved him. No. The fancy man paid for their entire theater in exchange for Mm. her being sex with him. And then she fell in love with Ewan McGregor instead. Christian. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Makes so, sense. basing this on absolutely nothing, what would you give this movie out of 10 stars? Ooh. Um, teeth drop it down to a three. <laughs> okay. So, we got, we got, sure. a, we got three, 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 three for, for teeth. teeth. Three okay. for teeth. What would you say for, like, overall, like, aesthetic design? Like sure. Oh, the design. Shininess. Oh, sh- oh, my goodness. The What's sh- the shininess? The showiness of it. It's a, it's a, it's a 12 and a half out of oh, 10. Oh, 12 and a uh, half. And so that combined with uh, the scream singing gives me, uh, is is about a 7 to an 8. Oh, yeah. And uh, the scream singing. Love the Red Light Districts on Roxanne. Uh, so that that brings it up to so I think averaging out I'm gonna give it a I'm gonna give it an eight out of ten. Oh, wow, that's a really high rating generous. For yeah, a movie you've never seen really. <laughs> yeah, you know it's, it's I'm just going with my gut. Do I you know really, who the director of this movie is? It's not Quentin Tarantino. No, it's not. I'm, Do you think that you yeah. will watch the movie in its entirety ever in the immediate future? Yes. Is that a lie? Because you will force me. Because I am married to you. And <laughs> scene. It's a good way to finish. You want to sign off there, Jeff? Yeah, yes. sign off, buddy. <clears throat> Come what may. <laughs> yeah. uh, that was an interpretation by Jeffy and the Fandango movie clip from YouTube, come what may. This is Jeffington Churlbeck signing off on 104 Point Emily, The Mads. Say the name of our podcast. And the name of the podcast is All Singing, All Dancing. Keep it classy, folks. Well, that's Jeff. That's that's Jeff. <laughs> wow, Jeff speaks for the the people, the everyday person who's never seen this movie. So, if you've never seen Moulin Rouge, if you were not a high school girl in um, two thousand one to two thousand five, then you know maybe you should give it a try. Yeah, welcome, welcome to our side. It's beautiful. It's high energy. It's one of it's a musical for as they always say. It's a musical for people who don't like musicals. It's um, dramatic. It's all get out and it's super shiny. You'll cry and you'll probably hate that you're crying, but you're going to cry anyway every time you watch it, which you inevitably will a hundred more times. Yeah, I would recommend it. Honestly, I think if you can swallow your pride and just t- just take the ride and enjoy yourself, you're going to watch a darn toot and good movie. Yeah, three Beautiful. out of ten for teeth. Gorgeous. Yeah, three out of ten for teeth, as Jeff said. But otherwise, I would say, for me, honestly, this is like an eight out of ten movie. Yeah, easily. It's definitely one of my top five favorite musicals of all time. So good. So good. If you're looking to watch it right now, it's available on Amazon Prime, uh, YouTube, and I think HBO, depending on what your your streaming rights are. Yeah, also, as always, it is available for um, borrowing at your local library, I imagine. Um, definitely give your local library a check. There's a lot of them that have apps, so you can yeah. even download it. Or contact maybe one of the more dramatic art girls that you knew in high school. She probably has it on DVD. Yes. I know I do. Uh, both of us, actually, in fact. And my gay roommate also. So we have three copies. If three copies wanna. available if you're in the Los Angeles area. Just reach out and we'll be happy to lend you one. Um, also, I this is a hot take that we, we discussed previous to recording, and I'm going to stand by the statement. The girls who had Moulin Rouge and probably the gay gentlemen who had Moulin Rouge posters in their dorm rooms are the adult versions of the horse girls. Yeah, um, fight me. Yeah, I stand by that. I mean it. Well, on that note, 
Thank you so much for listening to Thank us. Thank you so much for listening to us. If you made it this far, <laughs> um, we've got some another exciting episode coming up sometime in the future. Yeah, you know, we're, I mean, we will say there's been a, a delightful break in our programming because Emily uh, had to have a beautiful wedding out Indeed. of state. And Maddie was there. In I fact, was there. Maddie was in the wedding. That's so, true. <laughs> and I had to produce like twenty things back to back in a short amount of time. So, including it's been a our wedding, very actually, <laughs> several months. But we're so thankful for everyone who takes a moment to listen to us, and we love feedback. So please come and find us online, SoundCloud, iTunes, Instagram, Facebook. We want to connect. This is yeah, super and we fun for we want to connect, and we want to keep you know making this happen. So we appreciate you guys listening, and we appreciate people wanting us to talk in their ears, cars, and homes. And sometimes laptops. Yeah. And, you know, happy listening. (laughs) Every time with happy musicaling. Happy musicaling. All right. Bye, y'all. Bye.